Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Copepi on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter, and I'm here, as always, with the bad man Jamma, Carrie Smith, in a hat, as as usual. Good morning, Hi. Carter. Hi. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share, follow. We've got a subscribe star. You can go to unsafespace.com. All the things. Really appreciate your support. Uh, Carrie, today, you and I are kind of both sick of talking about politics. And there's a lot of little things that we could talk about, but it seems like we're trying to squeeze blood from a rock or something. It's just not. There are some things that I just don't care about. Yeah, or I just get tired about like, okay, great. Trump is a great shit poster for his Greenland memes. But, you know, what else are you going to say about it? So Who cares? Right. <laughs> However. And the Elon, what's her name? Ilhan Omar. Oh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah, yeah I, don't, right. I don't really care. It, it's, I, f- I don't feel an obligation to have to talk about every little thing that the 24-hour news cycle does, I guess. Yeah, which is great because we had one of, uh, one of the unpersons or someone from our community ask you to talk about something. And it's kind of a weird topic, but I think it could be an interesting topic. Why don't you introduce what you were asked to talk about? Yeah, it could be an interesting topic because actually, I don't know what I think about this anymore. This is one of those topics I haven't really considered since my belief started changing. And it I know what the old me would have said because old me would have just gone along with my tribe. Uh, but let me see. The, you want me to pull up the article that he Yeah, referenced? pull up the article. Yeah, the question is about whether churches should have tax-exempt status or not. And then he sent me this article from a couple years ago about churches costing taxpayers 71 billion a year. I don't know if you want to read part of that or not. Yeah. I mean, it just says U.S. churches are costing taxpayers $71 billion a year. A 2015 study says that tax-exempt churches in the United States are costing its citizens $71 billion each year in tax breaks. And they go on with some details about, you know, different kind of tax breaks and hey, if we taxed them, we could get $71 billion. I don't think it's worth going into the details here. They, they do point out that a lot of these churches, like here the Mormon church, for example, spends only 0.7% of its annual income on charity, whereas you know American Red Cross spends, claims to spend 92.1% uh, for physical assistance. I don't actually believe a lot of the secular charities, and there's kind of a known issue with a lot of secular charities also. But that's, that's the argument. So the argument is if they had to pay taxes, if churches had to pay taxes, we would generate $71 billion from them. Well, let's be, so there's, there's a couple problems with this. First of all, <laughs> the fundamental problem is it's not your money. So it's like we would get our 70, they're not cheating you out of $71 billion. It's not yours. It's the people who have chosen to donate to the church's money. It's not your money. They're not withholding money from you. They are giving money freely, and you're just not getting your cut of it. Your cut of you're, You view yourself like part of the mafia, and you need to get a, a cut of every transaction that happens in the world. So it's not your money to start with. Second of all, this is a great example also, I think, of how static – a lot of people view the 
the world of social interaction and and economics they do it's just dumb math it's like well if we tax them we would get 71 billion dollars no if you taxed them people would start donating less because they couldn't write it off necessarily and the churches would be looked as, at as for profit and like it would affect activity that happens you wouldn't get the same people don't just keep doing the same thing when you change the rules people would change their behavior. Depending on how you change the taxes, the behavior would change. So the idea that like, it, and especially people on the left, but even people on the right do this all the time. They're like, I know, if we taxed, if we taxed billionaires an extra 2%, we would generate blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, you would not. You would not. <laughs> they would change their behavior. They would move their money. They would not bother to do certain things. Like they would change their behavior. That's, that's what people do to avoid your freaking stealing their lunch money. Like people, <laughs> they go to a different playground. They hide their money. They do things. People react. So the idea that you just like, and, and this is just a, a I, I don't know. This is this attitude that people are just these little automatons and like, People just do the thing they do and the government is the system master and we just press some buttons and things happen. Yeah, that's not really how it works. People respond. I mean, look at Americans have a weird culture where we actually we're pretty good about paying taxes generally. Like we kind of feel like if you don't pay taxes, people are like, shame, shame, shame. You like not paying your fair share and, and people kind of try and pay, they, they feel good somehow about paying their taxes. That's not true in, in much of Europe. You go to Italy and it's like, oh yeah, I, I cheat as much as I can possibly get away with. That's just, that's just the way it is. Like, yes, our taxes are high, but who pays the high taxes? Everyone cheats. And like, that's just accepted. And it's just kind of like, yeah, of course we, we cheat, right? They probably bribe cops too. Like they just, that's, that's the culture. Americans have this weird rule following culture where we're like, oh, we have to pay our taxes. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a, so that's, I, so I don't, at the outset, I don't think that this $71 billion number is correct, but Carrie, it brings up a question, which is the broader question, which is, should religious organizations be tax exempt or differently tax exempt than charities? What are your thoughts on that, what would have been your thoughts with the SJW tribe and what are your thoughts now? Well, with the SJW tribe, I would have said they shouldn't have been tax exempt, but that was because SJWs, at least the, I know there, there, there are Christian SJWs. I've learned this from our friend, Gracie West, um, embarrassing mom on YouTube. Um, she was in, in a specifically SJ, a specifically Christian SJW bubble, which blew my mind. Cause, and it does exist. I've since learned all of this. I was in, more of like the hardcore atheist agnostic type of SJW world. And so uh, there is very anti-religious anti-God. And so uh, I would have said, no, they shouldn't be. And then at some point I probably would have said, yeah, they, sh I don't know. I, it, it's something I just need to think about more. I don't know. Right. Like if you ask me right now, should they be tax exempt? I lean towards yes, they should be because people are voluntarily giving their money but same is true when you buy an iPhone. Yeah. But on the other hand, people voluntarily give their money to the Red Cross and the Red Cross pays a certain amount of taxes. Well, and people voluntarily give their money to Apple in exchange for an iPhone. Right. 
your employer voluntarily employs you. That gets taxed. Well, what are the arguments? So let me, let me hear them. <laughs> well, I mean, I, we should be clear about I'm starting from the position that, of course, they should be tax exempt because everyone should be tax exempt. I was going to say, I know where you're going to come from, which is of that course. everyone should be, you don't believe in taxes. So how are we going to have this conversation? Everyone should be tax exempt. I mean, I can, I can, we can have the conversation in a context, but I just, it's clear. I have to be honest and clear about where I'm coming from. Everyone should be tax exempt. Uh, and, you know, just, I don't know that everyone, I don't know that everyone understands this, but the, the founding fathers were, opposed to the idea of progressive taxes in particular. So a progressive tax, you know what a progressive tax is versus like other types of taxes, right? No? Okay. So a, a sales tax, for example, is not progressive. Everyone pays in California. I think when you add it all up in, in the area where I am, it's like eight and a half percent, which is horrible. But, you know, you go buy something for a hundred bucks, you pay eight and a half percent. You go buy something for a thousand bucks, you pay eight and a half percent. You go buy something for a million bucks, you pay eight and a half percent. So it's just the same. Is progressive taxes where we tax people at different rates because of how much money they make? So progressive taxes would be, so, but the income tax, for example, is progressive. So if you make, uh, you know, $30,000, you pay one amount. If you make $50,000 a year, you pay different. I don't know the tax brackets, but um, this is the concept, right? $50,000, you pay a different amount, $80,000 different, $100,000 different, $150,000 different. And and that progressive is when that rate goes up with how, um, with how much you make. So now keep in mind, even a single number tax, like a single percentage tax, rich people are still paying more. They're, they're still paying way more than poor people because 8.5% of a million dollars is much bigger than 8.5% of $100 or whatever the income tax is. If the income tax is 25%, 25% of 10 million is a lot bigger than 25% of 100,000. So they're still paying more, but they're paying progressive taxes are typically viewed as paying proportionally more even, right? The founding fathers were particularly worried about progressive taxes because um, they viewed this as a, as a means Imagine this, Carrie, this will blow your mind that they, they thought this might happen. I don't know what they were smoking, but they thought maybe if there was progressive taxes, they would somehow be used to buy votes and distribute money from wealthy people to poor people through politicians who would use the tax system to get themselves elected. I don't know. I've never <laughs> seen anything like that, but uh, that was their concern. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah, so they they were I didn't, I didn't know they had this concern by the way. This is yes, all they me. did. Yeah, um in fact, let me pull up a quote. Uh James Madison said that the spirit of party and faction would prevail if Congress could tax one group of citizens and confer the benefits on another group. Yeah, yes it would. Um and he, you know, he goes on to talk about it, but uh they were, they were worried about this. Now, incidentally, there was no federal income tax when the country was formed. The first federal income tax, the first progressive, I'm not an expert on tax history, but my understanding is the first progressive tax, first income tax as, as we think of it, was uh, 
came, came about during the Civil War. And I think it might actually be the only tax that was ever also repealed. Uh, it was repealed after the Civil War, and I think in 1872 or something. And then in like 1894 or something, they tried to do another tax. They tried to implant uh, progressive income tax again. But the Supreme Court struck it down as unconstitutional. And it wasn't until 1913 that we passed an amendment. We made, there was an amendment to the Constitution allowing for progressive income tax. So it's a, I mean, if 100 years is new, it's a new thing. <laughs> but it's, it's not something that, you know, for much of the boom and growth that we think of as the Industrial Revolution and the, the great economic growth that happened in the U.S. It was not fueled by federal government taxing people and doing magical things with it because they're brilliant. It was fueled by people doing stuff with their own money voluntarily uh, and not giving it to the government. So anyway, so we were in this, and, and even since when, when the 1913 amendment was passed, there's specifically, e even at that time, there was carve-outs for uh, religion and charity, right? And, and carving out, like tax income status for churches goes like predates the U.S. Even like that concept is is kind of old. It's an old concept. Well, and what's the theory behind it? Why why um, it's, it's well in U.S. law the idea is it, it was related to the freedom of religion in the First Amendment, which is odd because you'd think, well, do you not tax the press because there's freedom of press also? Um, but the idea was well. Um, religion religion should somehow like the government should kind of stay out of it somehow it's kind of a weak argument because I, I, you could make an you could make an argument that tax exempt status for religion but not for other people is supporting religion um which is kind of what this argument with this this article that you shared is making it's like hey 71 billion dollars they're getting away with taking from us quote right or not contributing when they should you can kind of view that and there have been court cases uh challenging this and challenging um tax exempt status and there have been a few examples so the only only there are rules that churches have to follow they can't for example campaign for a particular political can candidate so there are some restrictions that they they have to follow in order to maintain tax exempt status but I have a bigger question, Carrie. I have a more philosophical question for you. Um, and that is, can you run a government separate from a set of moral and ethical principles? Can you separate, can government, so we have this idea of separation of church and state, which isn't constitutional, but it was a, it's not like in the Constitution, but it was a Supreme Court precedent that we use and, and, and like, and it's a concept in the West. Can you actually have separation of, of belief systems and state? Mm, let me think. I think you can. How? Well, I mean, the state is not enforcing Christianity, for example. Certainly currently. you can, cer certainly that's true, yeah. We're not a, uh, what's the word? We're not like a theocracy. True. 
And can you ask me something more specific? Because I'm not sure. sure. I believe in the non-aggression principle. So do I. Can the state exist under the non-aggression principle? Probably not, but the state exists. The state doesn't apply. The state doesn't so, abide well, by the non-aggression principle. That's true. That means that the state must presume that the non-aggression principle is not a morally valid rule. Okay. So the state has moral premises upon which it is built by virtue of being a state. Right, but they're separate from. It's not a Christian state. Or well, a I didn't say. I didn't say. Could you separate? religion from the state, although I could make that argument that a lot of these beliefs should count as religion. But my question is, you know, religion, religion is viewed by many people. Maybe you can correct me if this is not a good uh, description of religion, but religion, I think, is viewed by many people as a, as a source of morality and ethics. This is where, I mean, Prager makes his argument almost every religion that I can think of, the morals are, are one of the primary reasons why this religion views themselves as better than that religion or whatever it is. And some metaphysical claims as well. But this is one of the, the purposes of religion is, is to have moral codes. Right. And so if we take that and we say, okay, well, but let's broaden the idea of moral codes and say it doesn't have to be just part of religion. Moral codes can be philosophy apart from religion. Like moral codes don't need to come from religion. Moral codes can be derived in lots of ways. Plenty of religious people who disagree completely about the origin of their morals have derived both similar and different moral rules and as, as have atheists. And, and there are atheists who support communism and believe that, you know, the collective rules and that the state is the, should be the master of individuals. And there are atheists who believe the opposite and, make, and both make arguments. I happen to think one set of arguments is bunk, but that's a conversation for another day. The point is, morality is in the arena of philosophy and the state must be built on some moral assumptions. And those assumptions can't be separated from the state. Okay. I'm, good. I'm cool with that. <laughs> so the idea that we should look to the state as an amoral executor of rules and that morality is not at all, there's no suppositions about beliefs that are associated with the state is that's that's false the state does have suppositions about beliefs of course they do i mean that's why certain things are illegal right so the question is really like and i'm saying this as an atheist should we bother to try and separate the state from a whole bunch of moral rules i mean if if you're the state is basically what the state is fundamentally is a an agreement that this group of people represented by the state or agents of the state or whatever can initiate force against other people for violations of rules. Um, that's what the state is. It's the giving them the power of force, right? Even in self-defense, you, 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 you agree when you're in a state, it's the, the idea is, well, you can't go seek retribution 
or you can't go seek punishment. If someone robs you, you're not allowed to like chase them back to their house and, you know, barge in guns blazing to take your stuff back. But the cops are allowed to theoretically, right? You're allowed, they're allowed to arrest them. So the point of the state is force. So if you're going to have, if you're going to, to have a state that uses force, I think you kind of can't separate it from some agreed upon moral code. And that agreed upon moral code can be at odds with certain religions or yeah, other belief systems. Of course, of course. But when you pretend that it we can't like, be. Well, but, but see, he, see here in America, <laughs> that sounds so condescending. Here in America, Carter. <laughs> Actually, you're in Texas. That's a separate <laughs> Yeah, I'm in Texas. I'm, not in, I'm in the Republic of Texas. Um, we, we've already, there, there's this idea in our culture that pe- people believe that their uh, morality is derived from someplace other than um, religion. Does that make sense? Like I, when I have conversations sometimes with, right, with atheists, not atheists like you, a different breed of atheists. <laughs> when I have conversations with some people- A horrible like, commie atheist. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, but they're like, I don't need a religion to tell me that X, Y, Z is immoral, you know, that, and it's like, yeah, you don't, but you also are living, your your moral code is like a Christian moral code. For the most part, you have some ch- differences, but it, to to pretend like it didn't evolve from that, like it didn't come from that, we try and pretend like, like we have certain things that are considered to be immoral that are enshrined in law and a lot of those things are straight from the Christian belief system, which is you should not murder, you should not steal, you know. Yeah, but those are unique to the Christian belief system, right? I mean, I, I do or agree that Western government, I, I do agree that Western governments have evolved from a Western culture, which is a Christian culture, and therefore a lot of right. Christians are ensconced in, in law. Uh, but but some of those are universal and and transcend Christianity. Like, thou shalt not oh. murder. Oh, I agree. It's in almost all religions. Right. But the point is, I don't think that people just innately, um, I don't know. Like, where does morality come from? This is, this is, this, this Jonathan Haidt book again is suddenly very relevant. Right. Well, I mean, we can have a conversation about where, where morality comes from, but obviously that's a, that's a deep discussion and it's philosophical. I guess to bring it back to the tax exempt state thing, I, my only point about the the state here is I think it would behoove us all. And, and I think this is how the US was kind of founded. We kind of agreed that, hey, there are some moral rules. There are some moral premises that we will agree on. Maybe the deists and these other people kind of disagree about where they came from. And Thomas Aquinas has a different argument than uh, John Locke might, or whatever it is, about where some of these things come from and, and the nature of them. But we are in general agreement on certain principles. And one of the, those principles, which was admittedly not enacted consistently and we were hypocritical about as a, as a nation, is individual rights. It was this idea that like, hey, individuals are sovereign and should have self-ownership and they are, not, they are not wards of the state, and you can't just take money from other people. And it's not, this is not a, democracy is actually a problem, right? 
this quote is misattributed to Benjamin Franklin, but it's still a good quote, right? Democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for dinner, right? They, they, they got that. The reason it's misattributed to Ben Franklin is likely because I think he would have loved that quote. <laughs> they, they understood the dangers of democracy and talked about it quite extensively. So I think if we are going to forget that there are moral principles underlying our system of government, like individualism as a tenant of, or as a, as a guiding principle of, of what, what we're trying to accomplish as a country. And by the way, getting rid of slavery, women's suffrage, these are things that moved us closer to that ideal of individualism. Those are instances in which someone pointed out, in fact, um, Frederick Douglass made beautifully eloquent arguments about this when, when he was arguing against slavery. He was saying, hey, this document, the ideas in, in the founding documents are great. They're beautiful. They're right and just and moral. You guys just aren't implementing them. Like, that's that's you guys just suck at it basically uh, yeah. this is argument like you are hip hypocrites you are not living up to the ideals that are enshrined in these documents and you're not living up to the principles behind these documents he got it right and so those moves towards suffrage of women towards ending slavery those are all moves towards the acceptance that individualism is the goal that individual rights matter that individuals are sovereign they're not wards of the state they're not fodder for the state to use it is for its own ends and i think in that context if we kind of all agree on that basic morality you can have different you can say oh well we also have religious freedom people can believe a bunch of different things but if we've lost that morality if we've lost and we and we start viewing the state as just like well the state's just this uh thing detached from any moral rules and 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 we don't really care about individualism anymore we don't we don't even agree on the fundamental purpose of the state anymore right then it starts to get really it starts to get really messy when you have a lot of different belief systems because everyone is then trying to fight for the power of the state and the only religion that i think we have today in the secular world is basically that we worship democracy. Well, we worship, we worship democracy. We worship the state. We worship money. Well, I would say we worship, I would say worshiping democracy and the state are kind of the same thing, right? We, we only worship the state if it's democratically elected. Like we have this view that, oh, 51% of the people are right by definition and therefore anything that the agents of those 51% do is moral. Right. Although I imagine if 51% voted against social justice, the social justice warriors would still call them all Nazis and figure out a way to fight them. Yeah. But so it brings us back to what this question about tax exempt status, Carrie. Um, why should, this is, this is my fundamental problem with this is why should a church, why should a mosque 
have ta- tax exempt status for pushing their belief because they're going to push some beliefs. That's what they're doing. Why don't we have it? We're talking about philosophy and pushing beliefs. We're not advocating for particular political candidates. Can we have tax exempt status? Just because we don't believe in a supernatural being doesn't make us any fundamentally like any different from, from like, a, and I, I mean, I would argue it may make us different on many levels, but like just because the purpose of our organization is not worship of a particular supernatural being. And to be clear, I do believe in yeah, yeah, God. I, I didn't want to put that into but, your, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I just mean the purpose of the, the purpose of untaped space, regardless of what we believe, isn't worshiping of God. Of right. any, that's not the purpose of the organization. Right. But, but we are, we are pretty philosophical. We're, we, it's a, you know, free speech is one of our most important purposes that we argue for here. And why is that not, why is that not a church? Why are other charities different than religions? What's special about a religion? I think that's a valid question. I I do too. So your answer is, uh, they shouldn't be, they, they shouldn't have to pay taxes, but nobody else should either. So then what happens with, what happens with government? It just goes away. Well, government existed prior to the income tax. Okay, but how, are, how do their big salaries get paid? <laughs> their big salaries don't get paid. Neither <laughs> does the war machine and neither does the welfare state. Government is necessi- I mean, necessarily much smaller when you don't have income tax. I mean, you can, you can also look at it this way. If government is so worthless that people won't voluntarily contribute some money to have it do some things, what the hell's the point? That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, look, if the commies were invading and the government was like, hat in hand, shit, we can't afford missiles, we need to stop the commies from invading, invading, I think a lot of people, myself included, be like, all right, here's some cash. Do you need some help? I mean, I don't yeah. want the commies to invade. Are you going to fight the commies off? That's okay. Great. People do pony up when they feel like it's worth, I mean, look at the people who've been donating their own money to build the wall. So like, okay, I guess I'll give money since you guys aren't going to do anything. Right. So the state as charity would be a fascinating experiment, <laughs> which would be like, okay, how much value does the government really provide for you? Because if you don't feel like you're getting any value out of it, you're not going to donate anything. Maybe then it would attract, maybe, maybe it would be less attractive for uh, charlatans who want to abuse power to uh, get into politics. Of course it would be. Of course it would be. I mean, speaking of charlatans, Herbert Hoover and FDR basically well fdr in particular i think was the architect of using the irs to attack political enemies right so this was and 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 every president since him almost every president i don't have evidence on everyone but i that's become a general thing nixon did it everyone did it they they used the irs to attack their political enemies and there's a quote actually Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a section from this uh, Foundation for Economic Education article. So this is, they're talking about after 1913, 
So after the income tax, the progressive income tax amendment, it took the politicians less than one generation to hike tax rates and fulfill Fields' prophecy. This was a um, Madison and Field Field or, or had predicted that what I told you earlier that you know progressive tax would be used to buy votes. Herbert Hoover and Franklin Roosevelt, using the excuses of depression and war, permanently enlarged the income tax. Under Hoover, the top rate was hiked from 23 to 63%. Under Roosevelt, the top rate was raised again, first from 79, first to 79% and later to 90%. In 1941, in fact, Roosevelt proposed a 99.5% marginal tax rate on all incomes over $100,000. Why not, he said when an advisor questioned him. Um, after that proposal failed, Roosevelt issued an executive order to tax all income over $25,000 at the astonishing rate of 100%. Congress repealed the order later. In, in the 1936 presidential election, Senator Hiram Johnson of California, a Roosevelt supporter, watched in amazement as the president mobilized, quote, the different agencies of government, end quote, to dole out subsidies for votes, quote, he starts with probably 8 million votes bought, end quote, Johnson calculated. Quote, the other side has to buy them one by one, and they cannot hope to match his money, end quote. In that campaign, Roosevelt defeated the Republican Alf Landon by an electoral vote of 523 to 8. Wow. So. My grandfather has or had a great disdain for Herbert Hoover. I grew up hearing a lot of shit talking about Hoover. <laughs> well, and FDR, right? Senator James uh, Cousins of Michigan, who supported Roosevelt even more vigorously than Johnson did, said, had said before Roosevelt took office, quote, give me control of the Bureau of Internal Revenue and I will run the politics of the country. Well. So tax exempt status, uh, should churches have it? I, I think you could make an argument that religious institutions should not be differently exempted than uh, charity, but you can also make an argument that charity shouldn't be differently exempted than businesses. I don't think any, I don't think if you're going to have a tax, why, Carrie, tell me the morals behind this. Why is charity not taxable, but business is taxable? Yeah, it's a it's a weird loophole because I don't know if you've heard the phrase the nonprofit industrial complex. Have you heard that? I've seen it in action. Yeah, I've seen it in action too. I know, especially in the SJW world, I know a lot of people who work for or run their own nonprofits, and they're making a lot of profit and doing very little what you would think of as nonprofit work, but they have this tax exempt status because they're a five hundred one three C. Oh, as long as you pay, I mean, salaries don't count as profit for a business. So you can pay people and. Yeah. They make a lot of money on nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But what's the, what's the philosophic reason behind it? What do you think the argument for, Hey, we shouldn't tax money. It's being given to a charity. What's the philosophic reason behind that? Because the money, the philosophical reason of course is that it's go, the money's going for something good. It's going for the greater good. Okay. Um, how is that different than when I buy an iPhone? Because the people don't view that money as going towards the greater good. They view that money as going. No, they don't. They no, view I'm that saying, money. What's the greater good? 
helping people. iPhones help people. Yeah, but that's not the way. I know what you're playing an exercise with me and you want me to play devil's advocate. I don't disagree with you. Oh, <laughs> I'm, <okay>. just, <laughs> I'm just trying to explain how people see it, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, well, I guess my, my point here is it's a, it's a fundamentally anti-capitalist uh, assumption, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a poison pill. Just philosophically, it's a poison pill. The idea that giving someone a product in exchange, in voluntary exchange for their money. So when you, when you sell someone, if I sell you this iPhone, by the way, did I ever show you the back of this iPhone? Um, oh my goodness, how'd you do that? It's Legos. What? Yeah, my wife got it for me. That's awesome. But if I, if I buy this iPhone, I'm, let's say it costs me a thousand bucks. Well, I'm giving Apple a thousand dollars because the iPhone is more valuable to me than my thousand dollars. That's why I'm paying the money. Otherwise, I wouldn't buy it. I'm saying, oh, an iPhone is more valuable than this thousand dollars in my pocket. Here's the thousand dollars. I'll take the iPhone. Apple's selling me the iPhone because the thousand dollars is more valuable to Apple than the iPhone sitting in their warehouse or at their Apple store. That's a win-win transaction where society is benefiting. My life is more efficient and better. I can answer emails wherever I am. I can search the internet wherever I am. It provides value to me because I have an iPhone in my pocket. Apple turns around and takes that money and they can expand and hire more people or whatever it is. Even if it's just they can pay their execs more. You know, dollars, this is the other, ugh, there's so, so much, this is related to so much. <laughs> like, even if they just pay their execs more, that money sits in a bank account, which is used as leverage to loan to other businesses. And so like that helps the economy. That activity of buying an iPhone has ripple effects everywhere. It's, it's good for society. It's, it's the production of the iPhone that matters more than the, the consumption, but those two things need to meet, right? They're, if you produce things people don't want, you know, you don't, this is supply and demand, it's economics from high school, right? But why is a charity, why is giving money in exchange for nothing somehow morally superior than giving money in exchange for something that's, that I'm getting back that I think is more valuable than the money I'm giving? It's because of the way we've been conditioned to think about these two different things. I, I have a problem with the underlying assumption that voluntary exchange between individuals is, is worse than altruism. Altruism is not the standard of morality. Giving money for something and not getting in return doesn't make you a better person. It's not, it's not morally superior. Capitalism isn't evil. Voluntarily exchanging is not evil. And this entire categorization of charities as different from businesses is based on a moral flaw. It's based on a moral inversion. It's based on the idea that you somehow need to apologize for doing business, but you get a halo if you're just taking money for, from, you know, from people without giving them any value back in return. By the way, there, there's been debate about this in psychological community and I think maybe uh, evolutionary biologists as, as well have talked about this. I may be speaking out of term, but this is what I 
comes mm-hmm. to mind is this debate of whether altruism itself is even unselfish. It's not unselfish. Yeah, that gets into some really interesting things, right? Because uh, actually, even in even in Richard Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene, there's room for if you view individuals actually as gene propagation devices, which is basically the model that he views individuals through um, or using, then you end up with this weird thing where like, actually this machine sacrificing itself in certain situations may mathematically increase the odds that it's genetic material propagate because it's, it, it jumped on a grenade and protected the platoon or whatever it was. Right. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a weird example, but those kind of things do happen in the animal kingdom where there's uh, individual, an individual in a species will, will quote sacrifice for something. But so I think there is some, some evolutionary questions there, but when we talk about individualism and when we talk about morality of individuals being sovereign, that that's, that's divorced from whether biologically we have urges to do things or whether altruism can be a good DNA propagation strategy. Good DNA propagation strategies and morality are not the same thing. Yes. Right. Raping all of the weaker women is a good propagation strategy for your DNA. It's still immoral. So that's not, that's not how we derive morality. I don't know. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. I don't have an answer. Hey, guess what? I don't know what I think about it. So, and I still don't know. And that's okay. I wish more people, we should all more take the opportunity more often to say like, I don't know what I think about this thing instead of feeling like you have to have an answer for everything and then speaking opinions that are not your own. I actually don't, I don't either. I mean, I know what I think philosophically about it. I don't know if I would want, if we can't get rid of the tax generally, I don't, I don't know. I might, it might actually be interesting to have religious organizations and charities all pay taxes the same as business. That might actually have a weird effect on culture in a way that I might like. Maybe all these social justice charities would go away. If you didn't get tax write-offs for donating to them, maybe that would stop. Maybe Joel Osteen would be affected. (laughs) Right. I don't know. But again, my preference is uh, no one pays taxes. So, Carrie, thanks for dealing with a kind of boring issue for you, maybe. It involved money, which is not your favorite subject. I don't know why money bores me so much. I seriously, I really have to try and stay plugged in. Discussion of money, it just kind of like I go to this cottage in my house. Or, I'm sorry, I go to this cottage in my mind. It's like a vacation <laughs> cottage where I'm just like, duh, and I start thinking about other things. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, wait, come back. Come back to what we're talking think, about. Is it because you have anxiety over money in your life? Mm, no, I don't, know. I, I don't think Math. so. I know I'm thinking about that. No, I don't think so. I think it's just, I find it boring, which may be why I don't, I'm not necessarily good at amassing it, but cause I just don't care. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Thanks for watching everyone. Even if you're bored by money discussions like Terry, <laughs> there's a dog. This is oh. Jack. <laughs> if you want to donate to Jack, <laughs> you can indirectly do so by supporting us at Subscribestar, and Carrie might buy some more kibble. You can be selfishly altruistic 
by donating at Subscribestar. <laughs> you guys, thanks for sticking around with another meandering episode. I actually really, yesterday's was fun. I think people like that image you picked of Susan Sarandon was hilarious. I was surprised that yesterday's was popular. By the way, just to be clear, <laughs> we can't even talk about Susan Sarandon. That was demonetized. Well, I don't know what was controversial in there, but. Well, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the videos with your friends if you like them. Um, if you have subjects you want us to discuss, feel free to send them to us at uh, speak at unsafespace.com. And um, we are currently reading for book club. If you want to be a part of the next live video book club discussion, it's going to be on September 8th. We're currently reading George Orwell's 1984. Um, so go out and get a copy of that. We're going to put links to the books on our site. And <laughs> um, what else? Thank you for, I don't know. Thanks for giving us a reason to do this. <laughs>